The stories in this book have been told and retold, cherished and revered by literally billions of people over thousands of years. People have devoted their entire lives to studying this book. There are hundreds of thousands of commentaries on it. And many people believe that this book had to have been written by God. The Torah, what's so special about it? Why is it so mesmerizing? And how has it managed to capture the human imagination for millennia? I'm David Kasher, a rabbi at Ikar in Los Angeles, and together we're going to study the weekly Torah portion of the Parsha and figure out why the Torah really is the best book ever. So I think if I had to pick my favorite Parsha in the whole Torah, it would be Parshat Toldot. I mean, I, I say that and immediately I feel a little bad choosing any one over the others. The whole idea of Parsha study, the whole point of this podcast, is that every year we cycle through the entire Torah because this is the best book ever. I mean, it's, it's really five books, I know, but together it's the Torah, the whole Torah, the whole experience. So you almost feel like it's wrong to single any one part of it out. In fact, Maimonides puts this in theological language. Every word of the Torah, he says, is equally sacred, and so there's no difference between I am the Lord your God or any other verse in the Torah. It all comes from the mouth of the Almighty. And it's all part of God's perfect, pure, holy Torah of truth. It's all Torah. But still, if I had to pick a favorite, I think it would be this one. Parshat Toldot. The story of Isaac and Rebekah and their twin sons, Esau and Jacob. It's just a masterpiece. Parshat Toldot is, is like a symphony with distinct movements and a recurring theme that starts quietly and then builds, gets played with and inverted, and then comes to a dramatic climax. <laughs> So what is this theme? Well, you might say it's one of the great themes of the book of Genesis, sibling rivalry. We've seen it come up already before with Cain and Abel and then Ishmael and Isaac, but it's here in Parshat Toldot that it really explodes. So yes, sibling rivalry, but Parshat Toldot also takes the theme of sibling rivalry and builds on it, expands it, and turns it into something else something much bigger. So the Parsha begins with Isaac and Rebekah struggling to conceive, and Isaac prays to God for help, and it works. But there's still trouble, because, we read, The children struggled, literally something like they ran around inside of her, violent pushing and crashing, and she doesn't know what's going on. And so, She went to seek God, to inquire of the Lord, as it's sometimes translated. And God has an answer, an answer that sounds a bit like a riddle or a poem. And it's in this divine poem that the core of our theme is introduced. Shnei goyim bevitnech, two nations are in your belly. Ushnei leumim mimaich yiparedu, and two separate peoples shall emerge from your womb. 
Ulaom Milaom Yematz, one people shall overpower the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Okay, so the simple answer to why all of this rumbling inside of Rebecca is that she's having twins. But the two twins, says the prophecy, will become two entire nations. And so we begin to see that the larger theme is the two that compete to be the one, the two that struggle for ascendancy. And one is stronger, and one is weaker, and one is older, and one is younger, but it's, it's not clear who is who, and it's not clear who will prevail in the end. So the twins are born, and even from the start, they seem to be competing, competing even to get out first. Esau makes it out, but then Jacob, and he's named Jacob, Yaakov, because he comes out holding on to the heel, the ekev, of his brother, already trying to catch up, or maybe to overtake. Then the next scene. The boys have grown up a bit, and they're becoming very different people. Esau's a hunter. Jacob is gentler, stays back in the tents. And we learn, and this will become important later, their parents begin to play favorites. Isaac loves Esau more. Something about the, the strong hunter really impresses him. But Rebekah loves Jacob. Anyway, one day, Esau comes in from the fields, starving. And Jacob, maybe not coincidentally, is cooking a stew. And so Esau asks him for some. And Jacob, kind of out of nowhere, it seems, suddenly says, First, sell me your birthright. Now, in the ancient world, being the firstborn son was a big deal. You were called the Bahor, and by custom, you inherited double what all your other brothers did. That's the birthright. And you become the next head of the clan. And poor Jacob, he's a twin. He's, he's basically just as old as his brother, but technically, he came out second, so he will inherit half of what Esau does and play a supporting role, not a lead role, in this family. Except that Jacob has an idea. He wants to buy the birthright from Esau for a pot of lentils. Now, I wouldn't take that deal. But Esau doesn't seem to care about birthrights. He's just hungry. So he agrees, and Jacob makes him swear on it, which is also a big deal in the ancient world. And they make a trade, what, what seems like a bad trade for one of them. And the scene ends with, Vaivez Esav et Bechorah. Thus did Esau spurn the birthright. So, it might seem, from this strange little interchange, that in the battle between the two, Jacob has already come out on top. But the big drama, the real story of our Parsha, comes a chapter later. As we read that Isaac had grown old, Vatikhena enav, and his eyes had grown dim. And I guess, because he's getting old, he's starting to think about passing on his legacy. And so he calls Esau and tells him to get a feast ready because he wants to give him a major blessing before he dies. But here's the conflict. Rebecca overhears and decides she's going to sneak Jacob in, disguised as Esau, to get the blessing instead. And maybe, we think, that's because she got that message from God earlier about how the older would serve the younger, and so she knows that Jacob has to come out on top. And to do that, it seems, he needs this blessing. 
And that means this blessing matters. Okay, but now suddenly everything has gotten very, very confusing. Because didn't Jacob already purchase the birthright, fair and square? Or maybe it was unfair and square, but he did purchase it. So what does he need the blessing for? Unless the blessing is the birthright. Because after all, in, in this family, the great inheritance is not wealth and title, but the covenant, God's promise that Isaac inherited from Abraham. And that promise came in the form of a blessing. So maybe Jacob does need the blessing. But in that case, what did he purchase before? What is it, the birthright or the blessing? And which one matters more, blessing or birthright? The two have become hard to distinguish. Just as the two brothers, twins, remember, are hard to distinguish. And in this scene, as Jacob dresses up as Esau and Isaac can't see well, the two are especially hard to distinguish. All of this weren't disorienting enough, and here, folks, is the incredible genius of the Torah's writing. It is at this point, with all this talk of blessing, after all that talk of birthright, that we might begin to notice that the word for blessing, beracha, is the same as the word for birthright, bechorah, just with the middle two letters flipped. So the outer two letters are the same, the middle two are different just as the two brothers are exactly the same on the outside, but on the inside are complete opposites. Are you dizzy yet? <laughs> the intricate wordplay echoing the shifting narrative, the whole story collapsing in on itself, blurring together. The two that are one, the two that are fighting to be the one, and it all comes to head in one great moment of deception that will leave the whole family traumatized and full of anger and fear. And you know who gets this? Esau. Esau is the only one in the story who explicitly names all of the intersecting clues when he says, That's why he was called Jacob, the heel grabber. Because he has grabbed away from me twice. He took my birthright, and now he has taken my blessing. Esau sees what's happening, but he doesn't know what it means. All he knows is that it's terribly, terribly unfair. So what does it mean? And what's the point of all of this struggling between siblings here and throughout Genesis? And why can only one prevail? Why do we have to choose between them? Why can't everyone be blessed? To answer that, I want to turn, in this my favorite Parsha, to my favorite of the commentators, again, if I have to choose just one, Rabbi Shlomo Ephraim Lunschitz, the chief rabbi of Prague in the early 17th century, who writes a beautiful commentary on the Torah called the Kliakar. And this, as long as I'm playing favorites, this might just be my favorite of his pieces. We return back to where we started, to the moment where the two children are struggling inside of Rebecca, Vayitrotsutsu. And remember, Rebecca goes to seek God, Lidroshet Hashem, which before we translated as to inquire of the Lord. But the Kliakar reads the phrase differently. He says that 
Rebecca could feel the two forces inside of her, each pulling in a different direction. And so she thought maybe they're each being pulled by a different force. And so she wondered, maybe there are two gods, Shterishiot, each controlling one of my children. But she thought, I've been taught that there's one God. Isn't that the big message of the Torah? So this doesn't make sense. And so she went to seek God. That is, Lidrosh achar mitziut Hashem mamash mahu. She went to seek after the real nature of God's existence. In other words, Rebecca was trying to understand something that theologians have been puzzling over for as long as there have been theologians, which is, how can there be such struggle, such pain, such inequality in the world, if there is a God watching over us all? Why do some people thrive while others suffer? Why do some seem to enjoy God's blessing while others seem cursed for no reason at all? And why do some children receive love and care from their parents, while others grow up feeling rejection and abandonment? Esau was right. It all just seems so unfair. Life seems so unfair. And this is a reality we all must eventually confront. People suffer needlessly. There's good in the world, but there's evil as well. There's joy in the world, but there's also so much pain. Life is unfair. And yet, this tradition, this Torah teaches that there is a God, one God, a good God, in charge of it all. So how can both of these things be true? How can God exist alongside human suffering? And what's even worse than the fact of suffering is the fact that some people suffer greatly while others seem not to suffer at all. Some people come out on top and some are cast aside. And for the life of us, we can't figure out the reason why. And we wonder, how can God allow such a thing? And the way that the book of Genesis asks that question is by asking, how can parents allow such a thing? Why does Isaac love Esau more? Why does Rebecca love Jacob more? How can parents play favorites when they should love all their children equally? But what we're really asking is, if there is a God, why is life so unfair? Why does that God seem to play favorites among us? when we're all supposed to be God's children. Best Book Ever was produced by Ben Cooley and edited by Vera Blossom, and our theme song is Pitchuli by Hillel Tige. You can listen to more of his beautiful music on iTunes and Spotify. And while you're there, why not subscribe to Best Book Ever if you haven't already. If you're interested in supporting this podcast and our work, you can visit us at ecar.org and donate or Venmo us at ecarla. That's I-K-A-R-L-A. Thanks a lot and see you next week.